Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. The daughter of Jamaican immigrants, Jackie Fabulous, grew up in the Bronx, but went to law school in Southern California before deciding in her mid-30s to pursue a career in stand-up comedy. After some initial TV credits on Arsenio and Last Comic Standing, her comedy path began to become truly fabulous after she competed on America's Got Talent in 2019. She moved back to the Bronx just before the pandemic, and since then has performed twice on The Tonight Show, booked gigs on Showtime's Flatbush Misdemeanors and HBO's That Damn Michael Che, and recorded her first hour-long stand-up special, Menoplause, released in July 2022 via Comedy Dynamics. Fabulous joined me over Zoom to talk about her life and career. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode, as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Jackie Fabulous, last things first, congratulations on your brand new stand-up special and album, Menoplause, out Thank July 2022 via Comedy Dynamics. How does it feel? It feels good to have uh, to have me out there in the world doing more than five or eight minutes of stand-up. That's, that's, what's, <laughs> that's the point of it. <laughs> but that's, you know, for, for, for comedians or for, for would-be comedians, that's, that's where it starts. You have to get that first five or eight minutes before you can get an hour. Oh, yes. I wasn't allowed to do more than five minutes for quite some time in the beginning. <laughs> like, literally, they're like, no, this is where you are. This is your sweet spot. And then once I started to, I guess, dominate the five minutes, then they're like, okay, now you can do 10. Mm-hmm. And then, like, okay, now you can host. Okay, now you can feature. It's a process that nobody wants to acknowledge anymore. It's a long-ass process. <laughs> but there can be fun. There can be fun amid the struggle of the process. Like I'm speaking to you right now. I'm in New York City. You're in Las Vegas. But I know that a few years ago you were in Las Vegas, tooling around uh, Sin City with Will Smith. Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you recorded your special. Just so people know, you recorded your special after you met Will Smith, but before the Oscars. Oh yeah. So. Uh, but you do mention both Will and Chris Rock in the special. And I'd like to know, last things first, as a legal professional, which you are, what advice would you give Will and Chris legally? I know other advice that you've given them both in the special. <laughs> ah, I forgot. Every now and then I'm like, oh, shit, I forget I talk about them so much. Sexual advice. You give them sexual advice. <laughs> I Dude, I don't know what I did. I was so nervous. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> legal advice to Christian. I don't have any because they decided to not make it go to the legal world. They decided to handle it or not handle it or just, you know, move on with their lives. Right. Um, you know, Will wouldn't, Will could, well, what could Will do? Will doesn't have any legal recourse. It's always slander and libel, but Chris didn't make any kind of, you know, uh, any kind of comment or statements about Jada that would have to be proven to be true or untrue. Right. That's not there. And of course there's assault, you know, un- unwanted touching of a person's body. You know, that's always a crime. 
It could be a misdemeanor. It could be a felony. But clearly, Chris is like, I, I got, I got a tour coming. I don't got time to go to court every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chappelle, Chappelle wants me back out on the road. I can't be doing paperwork. Exactly. Or, or depositions. So, Jackie, you're the daughter of immigrants from Jamaica, right? The face of Jamaican immigrants. Yes, sir. So how much did that propel your initial, your initial foray was into the law? You went to law school. Was that because you were a child of immigrants that that was deemed like a more living the American dream than being a stand-up comedian? Oh, no, that's, so, that's way deeper than I deserve. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing to do with that. It was from watching lawyers on TV. I okay. remember there was a, there was a, a, a soap opera on years ago called Ryan's Hope, and there was a woman lawyer on there named Jillian. And you know, I, I'm traditional family ignored me, latchkey kid. Go watch TV. That's your best friend. You don't have siblings. Leave us alone. So I watched a lot of TV and soap operas had a lot of lawyers on it, and I thought it was a sexy job. But then as I got older, that I'm like, oh, they feel like they have power. But really what did it, I was a paralegal in New York for a big law firms, you know, big money makers. And I got, t- and honestly, my ego got tired of being their assistant, their number two, their lackey. I wanted to be boss. I wanted to be in charge. I didn't want to be the assistant. I wanted to be the head of, I wanted to be a, an attorney. So the attorneys were the ones, everyone reveled the attorneys walked around the law firm, the paralegals and whatever were the ones who worked for them. I didn't want to be a para. I wanted to be the man. But I was a horrible student everywhere. Standard I test trash, average uh, grade, never really above a B or a C. So I couldn't get good grades on the LSAT, good score. And okay. I, couldn't, I couldn't get what I had to get to get into the good schools in New York. So I got to some school in California uh-huh. and went there because they said, we'll let you in. You have a one point, a negative 1.4 GPA, oh, but no. we will let you in. Mm-hmm. And I, that is the reason why I was in California for so long. Where did I go to law school? And then life happened after that. Okay. So nothing so, deep. So what were you doing with the law when you up and decided to show up at comedy clubs in LA? I was work. I always had, I, I managed to escape the responsibility of taking the bar after getting a law degree for okay. no reason other than fear. Didn't take the bar, but because I had a law degree, I am considered a lawyer. You're, you're an attorney when you pass the bar and you can help people legally, get licensed. When you have a JD, a Juris Doctorate, you are a lawyer. And I can practice federal law, but I can't, I can't help you in your hometown and you get you know, arrested or whatever. Okay. So, you know, that's really, I kind of got the question. I get, I get all into it. And so then I what, were you, what were you doing when you decided to chuck oh. all that for comedy? Good corporate jobs. I had good corporate jobs. So it didn't, I didn't have to chuck. I was just, oh, no, okay. The real reason why there was a chuck. You know how you block <laughs> out traumatic events? I worked at Caltech in Pasadena. Okay. And I was doing, I was doing stand-up after work, at night, whatever, commercials, auditioning, whatever. And they fired me. And, that, and because I got fired in 2010 from Caltech, mm-hmm. the California Institute of Technology, I took my unemployment from that point on. Thank you, Obama. Five years of the top limit unemployment and some supplemented my, my comedy career with uh, unemployment. And I just did stand up on, on a whim after work for fun. There was no reason, no goal, no entertainment uh, goals. I don't want to be an actor. None of that crap. I was just bored. Mm-hmm. And I was a funny girl all through life. And my girlfriend told me, take this comedy class, Judy Carter, 
Everybody knows about her in the comedy yeah. community. Well, I don't Sugar know. Ray- if the, I don't know if the kids know about Judy Carter. No, but- the kids don't know. There be some kids in her class, but mostly in her class, be old people. Right. And by old, I mean your age and my age and up. Oh, we're it's the we're the people. we're the same age. So yeah. Okay, they don't. There's nobody really under thirty <laughs> taking her courses, and those are the ones who need to take it. But yeah, <laughs> Judy Carter took her class afterward mm-hmm. for fun. The first show, September uh, 16, 2015 years ago, 16 years ago at the Hollywood Improv. And that's when I decided, okay, I'm good at this. I suck at everything else. Every job I've had, bullshit. I don't know how I even got hired. But stand-up, I excelled at early. Excelled enough to not quit. You know, I wasn't Chappelle. But I didn't stink. So I'm like, okay, I don't suck. I'm not bombing regularly. I'm going to keep up with this. And I liked it. Fun. Honestly, the reason why I stuck with it because it was fun. Every job I had was not fun. Jobs are not fun, in case people don't know that. Well, we two things. <laughs> two things that you made me think about just now. One yes. is, you know, we just joked about how the kids should know about classes or how to learn how to do comedy and don't. How much do you think the fact that you waited until your 30s to start helped you because you had all of that life experience to draw on before I you even got I, on stage? You're right. I am, um, and you're right chronologically. I think, I guess for lack of not being sound like a cliche, you know, I was a grown ass woman when I started. So when I started, I had, even though my immediate family, the, the ones you worry about, the mother, father, aunt, uncle, sister, were not in LA, they were in New York. I was in Cali juggling a divorce and then getting back to dating and struggling, hating my day job and working at night. So I knew how to handle what life throws at you, where a lot of comics that I know have never, ever, 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 ever had a regular job. So when adversity hits them, it hits them hard. Like, you know, like being broke and not having gas money. Like when I was in LA, when gas prices would go really high in LA, I just wouldn't go anywhere. I would stay in my apartment for two weeks. You know, and you learn how to adapt. Like, look, I bought groceries. I filled my house up. I have a car, but guess what? Can't afford to drive it. So I'm going to leave it there. And I learned how I, I have real life coping abilities that a lot of comics don't the ones who the ones who went from their parents house to stand up and mm-hmm. there's some there's something to be admired about that also that's not it's actually quite sexy to be able to be like i'm not going to do anything y'all do i'm going to go from my neighborhood to the stage and i just had life in between because i didn't know what i wanted to be you know i thought i wanted to be an attorney clearly and when i tried it i'm like this sucks <laughs> now you mentioned having <laughs> have the importance of having coping skills how important was that then when you realized over the course of your first decade that in comedy, your first decade in comedy, that it was going to take a while to get a break and to get seen. I mean, I you had, you had things over the years, like you did Arsenio, you were in last comic standing, but then it wasn't until a few years after that, that America's got talent really yeah. gave you that, that audience that you needed. You know, I, I talk about last time I'm standing. I got eliminated, like, during the commercial break. Like, that's how fast. That's how long I was on that show. I was, when I tell you that I was dying, I was one of those that thought, if I get on last comic, I will be forever changed. I thought, it's like when I, it's like people who do commercials. When I booked my first big, big national, it was a progressive with flow and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to buy a castle. This is it. I'm gonna buy my block. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the school across the street, mm-hmm. and nothing close to that. 
So I thought I was one of the comics who thought the Holy Grail was last comic standing and doing late night and whatever. And none of that, nothing happened. So, and I had a lot, I still currently do a lot of mentors who gave me advice, who would take me out for dinners and lunches and invite me to their houses. Cause Cause I would reach out to them like, look, I don't know why I'm not progressing. I don't know what's going on. I remember at, when I hit my seven-year mark, David Arnold, we all know who he is, one of my really good friends and mentors, he would take me for breakfast like once a month because he knew I needed to vent somewhere. <laughs> and, I, and I wanted to vent with somebody who wasn't a woman. who Because mm-hmm. I had Kim with me then too, but David, for some reason, was my tough love mentor. And he, okay. he was where I wanted to be. So he brought me to this restaurant uh, on, on Ventura Boulevard in the Valley, marmalades whatever it's called marmalades and i he take me there just so i could complain and i was at seven years and he was like jackie at a seven year mark i find a lot of comics get really really frustrated because they're like why am i not you know moving from 10 minutes to featuring right. and i was going through that but i realized now that that's that's everybody it's going to be a plateau you're going to reach to each you know everyone's case is different and you have to like know that if you're if you're if you're enjoying it still and you're making some money you know, at all doing it, that you shouldn't quit. And if you're constantly told by your friends, your peers, fans, people and strangers that you're good, that's all, that all keeps you doing it. You know, if I didn't have any kind of good words from anyone, I'd be like, well, maybe this ain't it. But because I, I am literally bombarded with you pick the right job. Thank you, God. That people and friends and strangers, not family, but strangers mm-hmm. and friends are the ones who have been like, you really gave me a good time. I didn't know who you were. I didn't want to come out. I have no idea who you are. I didn't see shit you've done. I didn't see last comic. Didn't see AGT. I didn't see it. A lot of those still out there. Mm-hmm. And they all they have is proof that I belong where I am in that club on that stage is when they come see me. And I get a lot of first timers that are like, oh, okay. I like you. I never heard of you, but you know what? Keep it up. Don't quit. So you know, a lot of people have told me not to stop because they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And in the beginning, all I was doing was hanging around a bunch of male comics, lovingly and, and knowingly and wanting to, only girl. Mm-hmm. So I'm enjoying the male company and the free drinks. You know, I'm hanging out after work. I'm not thinking this is a career. But you didn't quit your night job, even though you did get fired from the day job. You know, most comics dream about not having a day job, but in your special menopause, you're you're pretty open about missing missing the day job. You talk about like missing that nine to five. Yeah, I don't miss the work. I miss it's lonely when you're even though I don't really feel like it because you know I'm I am an entrepreneur, but you don't feel it because you're always in it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't um I don't feel the same the same pull that other people feel. To uh, how do I structure this? Is it because <laughs> is it because com- the world of stand-up comedy doesn't have like a clubhouse or it's lonely. A break yeah. room. There's no break room for the comedians to yeah. <laughs> hang the, out the in break, between sets. And the, the I mean, it's a green room, room, but the break room is the green room. But right. honestly, I don't. I, I, doing this job, can I'm in a hotel now in Vegas alone. Usually, I'm here with my fiance, but ticket prices are now eight thousand dollars to go to go to Baltimore. So that's going to stop until the planes stop, you know, the, mm-hmm. the gas prices go down. So this job is lonely. So having a nine to five, I had friends, girlfriends, you know, you work all day with next, somebody next to you, you can giggle with and laugh with. When you're writing your jokes or working on your set or whatever, you're alone more than you're with, more than you're around people. 
Even though stand-up clubs, I'm in there almost every night. But honestly, that's because I had nothing else. That's my only job. You know, I'm writing during the day and working on a lot of good products that I hope to God you guys get to hear about. But until then, it's a solo job. You know, Are you so, telling me you, you said yes to this podcast, not because you liked my podcast, but just because you were lonely and you needed... <laughs> No, you know what? <laughs> what I I like podcasts. I like, I have a podcast. You just needed someone to talk to during the day. Yeah, you know what? I just had French toast from the hotel <laughs> restaurant, and mm-hmm. I'm and I'm watching Serena Williams. I wouldn't mind some convo. Is that okay? <laughs> perfect. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> you know, companionship is important in life, and you learn. Here's uh, Butch Bradley. I'm sure you've heard of. Mm-hmm. He has, he lives out here in in Vegas and I saw him last time and he made a comment that made something, made me think. He's like, no one wants you to think in stand-up that you could have a partner and pets and a life and travel. They kind of want you to have this feeling of you have to be broke and lonely and horny and and confused. That's the (laughs) job. And the older you get, the more you're like, that doesn't have to be the job. You can have a regular, you can have a suburban life and go do stand-up that's more possible for men than it is for the wives and the moms. But it is possible to, you know, kind of do it all and enjoy it all at the same time. But what I don't enjoy is when I'm going to stop. That's my, that's my thing for life. I've had a lot of jobs. And when I start hating it, I'm going to move on to something in entertainment, but not so much stand up and traveling alone around the world all the time. Like maybe become a manager or. No, energy. No, like, like TV, like permanent, permanent, like, you know, like, Like Paige Hurwitz, like leave stand up right. and produce TV, and, uh, okay. you know, and deny your stand up background. <laughs> you're, 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 but is your mom like my mom? And, uh, you know, you say you want a job in TV. And so my mom would go, well, Wendy Williams just left a job. So there's an opening on TV. Yes. You should, <laughs> does your mom go, that should be you. You should get the Wendy Williams job now. My auntie always asked me back in the day, like the te- when I first started, she was like, well, Sherry Shepard. So-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so. And as soon as I became friends with Sherry Shepard and I told uh-huh. my family, they were like, well, now <laughs> everything you need is there. I'm like, she's my girlfriend. That's it. There's nothing else. They think if you know them and they're famous, all you got to do is be like, well, where's my office? That's not how it works. Right. <laughs> right. You need a sidekick, Sherry. Sure. Right. No. Yeah. You know, do you? <laughs> Now that she's so busy with her own show, I might work more because literally right. you get those belong, gigs that she can't do now. I belong to a uh, not wait, I belong to a circle of female black plus size funny comics. The Kim mm-hmm. Whitley, Sherry Shepard, Retta, Lonnie Love, uh, Michelle Buto. Well, it's like a little posse. Mm-hmm. And and I've always been told when these women get crazy busy, that's when they'll be like, what's Jackie doing? Hey, so that's where I am now, where a lot of my my coworkers, the Nicole Byers, who's on four shows right now, like the busier they are, the more I'm like, hey, you can use me now. Uh, (laughs) Where does where does Monique fit in that posse? I don't know, Monique. I should give you my first break at an improv. I will say that years ago, my first stand up uh, at an improv comedy club, Brea, I went to watch her. I think I had a day that stood me up. Long story short, and, and he probably will see this, and he should know. But I went to see her, and I sat where she could see me because I wanted her to see me. Mm-hmm. And 
after the show, I stood online with the other fans to go say hi. And when I said to her, hey, Monique, I really love you. You were funny. I'm a huge fan. And I'm a comic. She immediately said right after that, you want to do time? And I was like, you know, the place is packed, 300 plus. And I'm like, sure. So the next show, after the show cleared out, she had me do like eight, nine minutes with a long guest set for someone she didn't know. Wow. And then, and then she's like, you want to come back tomorrow? And I came back tomorrow and did it again. That's my, my only deal dealing with Monique is how she was wonderful to me when I was green as hell. How important then was it for you to watch her go through the turmoil she did with Netflix and with speaking out for her rights? I think she's doing what she needs to do for her and her career because she's been doing this since longer than I even cared. The only thing I would say is I would, if it was me, I, I would fight less of my battles on social media. But, uh, yeah, yeah. but I say that not knowing how she feels. You ever, like I have been mad enough about whatever in life and mm-hmm. been like, I'm going to tweet this and fix it. Or I'm going to Facebook this and fix it. So when you're heated and in the middle of it, you just want how you feel to get out there. Right. So she probably is like, I, maybe tomorrow I'm, I might regret it, but today I'm going to let the whole world know that so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so did this to me. Right. So I wouldn't do it online, but I'm not her. I don't know how she feels. And when you are in the moment and angry, we all handle our business differently. And in 2022, there's a lot more people who are angry and justifiably so. As so many people are pissed off. And if we, mm-hmm. all get, if we all fight it out on Instagram, it's not going to be fun on IG anymore. <laughs> I'm like, I want to see kittens and the new lip gloss. Why mm-hmm. everybody fighting? You know? <laughs> <laughs> or at least if you fight, fight over dropping beats. Like, first. Yeah, exactly. Entertain me. You go, <laughs> if you're going to fight, pop and lock while you do it. This is really, this is really making my experience on IG a downer. Well, <laughs> let's, let's, let's turn that down upside <laughs> around. Um, yeah. <laughs> Because I mentioned, I mean, we both mentioned AGT. America's Got Talent is such a weird, wild show to watch because when it started out, it felt very much like American Idol in which they they gleefully roasted people for not having talent as much as they did the people who have talent. But by the time you did it, it's really become more of this inspirational, uplifting yeah. summer showcase where it's like no america really does have talent and just celebrates people that so many standing ovations so many four yeses so many uplifting stories yeah did you know that what was going to be in store for you when you decided to do it i had when i tell you that i did not know i never watched a show Mm -hmm. at that point at that time i'm like you know actually the year before i did it i did audition uh for the producers and okay. i did it in pasadena i did it like in the middle of the afternoon as a throwaway because i didn't care didn't want to do it I, I talked bad about reality back then like everybody else i'm like i i have a, I, this is a craft i will not do a reality series i did the audition didn't get it because they could tell she don't care about this and then the next day <laughs> i didn't care i, it was, I lived in the area i'm like uh, what's, I'll, I'll come out and talk to you guys then the next year the next year, I literally looked out for somebody that I knew who was a producer there. And I'm like, hey, do I have to go through the whole rigmarole? Like, I still felt kind of experienced by then. And I wanted to try and, to be honest, mooch my way on there. I don't want to have to be online. I, I want to be treated like I'm a star. Right. So 
So she's like, I don't know what all that star business, but send me your tape. <laughs> and I'll, yeah, I'll send it to who, those who make the decisions. She got my tape, sent it in, called me and said, they want you to come do it. I'm like, great. I'm taking an audition. And they were like, she's like, no, 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 just come do the show. And I'm like, I don't got to do it. She's like, no, because they can tell from what I sent them, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, not to be arrogant. And I got there and they just gave me, you know, the whole the spiel, the training, the pep talk, the dry run, the run through. And the first time the whole world saw it was my first time on the show. And people backstage were like, you know, Simon hates stand up. He hates comedy. And I'm like, how is this going to help me? I don't know. This is a pep talk. I don't, do y'all know what a pep talk is? Mm. And I was hanging out back and literally there was so much, so many hours in the back waiting. And I'm looking around at what I'm competing. I'm, I'm competing with gigantic poodles. These dogs were the size of horses. There was a man who shot himself out of a cannon on purpose. Like I was like, why? I was kind of backstage like, what could possibly go wrong? Is there acrobats and, and gymnasts back here? And I'm going to tell a few jokes and go home. So at that point, I'm like, all I'm going to do is get exposure. I know I'm, I know they're going to last because I gave them jokes that I know always, always, always works. So I was nervous because it was a big show, but I wasn't worried about doing well. Okay. So I gave them what I know always works. And if I didn't, if they didn't laugh, they would at least like me. Like if I die tomorrow, my tombstone should say likable. Half, most of my career is that. And, you know, I'm okay with it. Because mm-hmm. likable gets me in the door to show, okay, now she has talent. So when I got there and everyone had their reaction, um, I was I, I felt comfortable in front of Howie. Because, like, you know how the, the whole, the fellow comic, like, Howie right. would be cool. Because he's a comic. <laughs> comic. Howie he'll, gets like, it. he'll at least be like, all right, we see you do this for real. Right. And uh, I had a black woman, so that, that also made me feel like, okay, Gabby Union. She might be like, okay, girl, I won't, I won't dismiss you immediately. Mm-hmm. And Dancing with the Stars, Julianne Huff, I loved the show, so I was fangirling over her. And then Simon, I was, I, I'm not going to lie, part of me is like, if he talks to me either before or after, I'm going to flirt with him. Because that, <laughs> that was my tactic. I'm like, look, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I'm cute. I know he ain't married. I'm going to try and flirt. Uh-huh. So when he kind of flirted with me by saying, can I come kiss you? I was like, okay. I thought it was going to be on the mount. I was ready. <laughs> when I when I did that little stretch, I was mm-hmm. stretching. Like, All right, we about to land it on national TV, international TV. Mm-hmm. And he only and he only gave me that sweet European double one. I'm like, okay, I was ready for the mount. I was gonna lay one on him because <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to win. I don't I don't know what y'all talking about coming back. I want to. Who do I gotta blow to move ahead to the finals? You know, so I was kind of impatient. Like, what's this? Right. Let's move this along. Let's go. What y'all need to hear? <laughs> and so I didn't know what I had no idea what I was getting into. But everyone there is so nice, and even more so than nice and professional. There is clockwork. They the places run like you can't. They know what they're doing. No one's left hanging. Everyone got a walkie-talkie thing in their ear. It's very smoothly run over there. I had no idea, but that is the show that told the world who I was. And when I started touring, when the show ended, shortly after is when COVID's like, oh, you're going to stay home for two years. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to ask. So when did moving back to New York enter the equation? Was it because it of the show COVID. or was it because of COVID? It was boredom. It was not, it was, I was bored in LA. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I was auditioning like crazy for really big things, pilots, TV shows. I'm not booking anything. I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to, uh, 
the stand-up gigs that I wanted that were more high profile, I wasn't able to get. I wanted to be passed at the comedy store. I was just stagnant and bored. So I moved in October 2019, pre-all this, okay. and back into my childhood home in the Bronx with the intent of, okay, I'm going to go home for a little while. I was touring like crazy. And I was making touring money. I'm like, I'm going to get a place. And after, you know, a few months of being home is when I started to get really sick. And I was touring sick. No, I, I thought it was the flu. Went to the doctor. He's like, this is not the flu. We don't know what this is. But it was right when everyone was like getting sick and not knowing why. Right. And then after that, I was home for a while. My first time out is, was when I, when Russell Peters offered me to go with him to the Miami Improv during this, the height of the pandemic. And that's got me, that got me back out there. Thanks to him. I think he was one of my first. I did a lot of outdoor shows in New York. Rooftop, outdoor. I was out. I wasn't out like crazy, but I was out. Even though I live with old people, I couldn't stay home. And I was going crazy. You've also been able to book quite a few things. I mean, you've done The Tonight Show twice. Yes. Since I moved back. Since I moved back to New York. Yeah. So many of the things that I had on my vision board that I was not getting done in L.A. happened. I moved back to New York. I booked four TV shows back to back. I did The Tonight Show twice. I did my special. I did an album. Uh, but what I, what I really wanted to start work happening more was acting. And when I moved back, I would audition for stuff. And if not book it, I would get at least a call back or they, or they knew who I was. In LA, it was, it felt like they were just like, we know who you are, but we don't want you yet. Mm. So I booked, I, I moved back home and a lot of things that I'm like, why won't this happen for me? Happened this, you know, domino effect, one after the other. Yeah. I just, I just saw you in uh, Flatbush misdemeanors. Yeah, I, I mean, three or four episodes of that. I did that damn Michael Che. It, it was it was unreal I'm, and a blessing. I'm really grateful. <laughs> All while living in your childhood bedroom. Childhood bedroom, the same stuffed animals that I used to masturbate to when I was nine. They're still there. It's, not, now, as how when you're, it's not as how when you're 50. When you're 13, it's sexy. When you're 50, it's sad. <laughs> And you're and going through menopause, so it's like you have that hot flashes. And my mother yelling at me to keep the Zoom noise down because I'd be on Zoom hollering. I had so many Zoom comedy shows, and, and they'd be all around the country. And her bedroom wall share is shared with mine, so I'd be on Zoom at ten a.m. talking about, "Hey, that's Joe Biden, isn't he old?" <laughs> and my mom can hear me through the wall yelling at me, Jacqueline, just stop it. Turn the noise down. Turn down the TV. Turn down. I'm like, I am 50. But this is what my life is now. And hopefully, mm-hmm. you never know. This could be a TV show. But it's really sad and funny at the same time. Well, uh, <laughs> I haven't shed any tears. I've only been laughing. Oh, so, Jackie Fabulous, uh, thank you so much for... <laughs> For taking some time out of Las Vegas to to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank it. you for having me. I've been reading you guys' comics comic for yeah. years. I don't know. There are real people behind it. It's good to uh, Just me. One person. It's me. Really? You are, you're the Empire? <laughs> the Empire. <laughs> good for you. I like that. I love seeing a big, what looks big to all of us, and then they're mm-hmm. like one guy like, it's me and my phone. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm not in my parents' house, so I got that going for me. You are winning at life. I am winning everywhere except my home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, not this week. This week you're in Vegas. So Yes, I live here. That's why I take so many gigs. I'm like, I need to leave. <laughs> well, have fun and uh, enjoy the ride. <laughs>
Thank you so much. I had fun. Thank you so much. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.